0: This production contains material of a sensitive nature, including descriptions of abuse and other forms of violence which may be triggering for some individuals.
1: What do we do when we don't know what to do? Where do we turn when we don't know where to turn? When the unimaginable occurs, how do we begin to imagine a future for ourselves or those we love? On the 14th of March, 2017, Felicia Marshall's daughter, Lexi B., was stalked and murdered. Out of the ashes of that devastating experience, Felicia has grown a beautiful work of loving, serving, and caring for families with similar experience of trauma and tragedy. This is the story of a mother's love, the story of how a broken heart became a generous heart brimming with compassion for others facing loss and grief. The story of how our deepest, most painful wounds can become gifts of healing and wholeness for the world. This is Grant Me Justice. Welcome back.
2: Thank you for having me. Um, It's exciting to do this, it really is.
1: It is exciting. Mm -hmm. I feel like, as I've said, I'm a writer, and that's very... I'm very introverted, and that's very solitary. Although there's a lot of collaboration involved in writing, mm-hmm. most of the time when I'm doing the the work work, I'm alone in a in a room with the door closed, or alone outside somewhere. Um, this feels very public and exposed, so mm-hmm. I feel I feel, but I feel like I'm becoming more at ease with the process. So, okay, um, we'll see what happens. We'll next see, then, I isn't... can I can see YouTube comments. <laughs> it doesn't show. You look really nervous <laughs> and awkward. That's okay. Thank you yeah. for your comments. Um, <laughs> We'll file your feedback in the appropriate drawer. Um, okay, you subtitled your book "A Mother's Journey from." So the book is Grant Me Justice. Mm. The organization is Grant Me Justice. Um, you subtitled the book "A Mother's Journey from Murder and Mourning to Mercy and Dancing." Mm-hmm. First of all, I really I know we've talked about this, but I really think you need another M word in there. <laughs> What's a dance that starts with M? <laughs> I don't know. The Morena. Macarena? The macarena. Yes, that's okay. So <laughs> before it goes to print, we're going to change it to it. murder and mourning to mercy and the macarena. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll settle down. Damn, we'll settle. Um, so grant me justice and then mercy. Mm-hmm. So I think often those ideas are seem opposed in people's minds and justice and mercy. I wonder, um, can you say something about how you understand the relationship between justice and mercy? Uh, from my perspective
2: and um, from my experience going through the criminal justice system, um, I recognize that my one of those defendants could have easily been my son. Hmm. And, um, and my, and I, I always see this as the Lord just showing me things. And in my recognizing that uh, one of the young men who was Calvin was the same age as my son. Um, if that had been Jermaine, cause Jermaine has done some dumb things in his life. Hmm. If that had been Jermaine. I would have been there. And if that had been Jermaine, I would have desired justice for him. So, in looking at the cases and the plea deals, um, and recognizing the fact that um, Calvin said that he was not, he did not shoot Lexi. Hmm. I believe Calvin. Um, And so if that had been my son, I would not want him to plead for something and plead guilty to something that he did not do. And so mercy comes from looking at the other side of the table, seeing that there are a lot of people involved. A lot of us are there. Um, We have no desire to be there. Caught up in this uh, criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Um... And my heart just broke uh, for all of us. And although I was there pleading for justice for Lexi, um, I was also merciful towards the defend- defendants. Now, it seems kind of conflicting. Um, and I wanted justice for Lexi to be served. But at the same time, I did not hate the defendant. And I don't hate the defendant. I wanted justice according to uh, what the rights of people are. I wanted that person to um, have rights. I want them to be be, be (laughs) sentenced based on the crime that they committed. Mm. And um, so I I walked away with seeing that these people that were responsible for Lexi's murder Uh, did not only deserve justice here on this side, but um, God's grace also covered their sin. Mm. And I wanted them to know that uh, regardless of what sentence that they have, um that God still loves them and his grace is sufficient even for the murderer. Mm. So that's where the mercy part comes from. It's it's being looking at even these people that are accused of killing my daughter, not looking at them as um hate towards them, but seeing them as also God's children. Mm. You know, with him still having the ability to save. Uh, I think that's what this world is all about, is um, getting people to know um, exactly what Jesus has done. And his uh, sacrifice covered even murder. And that's where the mercy part comes to.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. there's a lot to take in yeah. um, with that. I thought about... This this may seem random, but I think it, I think it connects um, the the movie Twelve Years a Slave. I don't know if you've seen that. I think, um, brutal, really difficult to watch. The one thing that really struck me that I feel like they captured in a really profound way was you know for all the brutality of of slavery and and of course the how the attempt to dehumanize the slaves but what what you see especially and i forget who plays the character or, or her name in the movie but the the wife of the the, the wife of the man who the couple owned the slaves mm-hmm. how um, her hatred and and her just turned her increasingly bitter and, and how it it dehumanized her mm-hmm. and over the and both of them but but especially her the way the the character the actors played that role on mm-hmm. um, And so I feel like what you're saying is on something that about mercy uh, is is really it's it's really an important idea to Mm -hmm. to think about how you know it finding that supernatural ability to extend mercy even to the person who you have every reason to hate feels like a a move that's not just. Um, of course, it's gracious to the person, but I think it also is important for us to try to find that that space. So, um, I think it is. I think it would be easy for me to be bitter
2: and I think it would be accepted. Mm-hmm. I think it would be easy for me to hate it. hate these people that was responsible for, mm-hmm. that were responsible for Lexi's murder. And um, part of uh, what I originally wrote in the book that I took out of the book was about my mom mm-hmm. and uh, the first plea deal um, that I did not invite my mom to come. And a year later, my mom found out about um, the plea. Um, And she was very upset about it to the point where my mom actually died from that. And, um, but I know that there are people that don't feel the same way that I do. Um, And sometimes I don't understand (laughs) why I feel the way that I do, Uh, but you know, Seriously, though, I know the only reason I feel that way is because of Christ Mm. and what God has done in my heart. And, um, you know, I just think it's it's the compassion that comes with having a relationship with the Lord. Um, I still want them to, those that are responsible, Mm. to um, pay for the crime that they committed. I don't think that the people that, all of the people that are there were responsible for Lexi's death. Um, And I do believe Calvin. Uh, No one else believes him, but I do believe him. I believe him when he says there was someone else there. Uh, If that is the case, and that person is the one that's really responsible for Lexi's death, that person is free. And uh, Calvin is serving the sentence. Uh, for his murder, for him murdering Lexi, so um, mercy comes from from the Lord allowing me to see. I think supernaturally. I always see these as lessons that the Lord teaches me. Um, that this is what when we talk, and we stand in these pulpits and we talk about. God's grace and his mercy. We stand in these classrooms and we teach people about being merciful and having compassion. But only on certain, (laughs) at certain times are we supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that when someone murders our child. But I think we're called to even have mercy uh, on those people. Um, It's hard to do but i think we're we're called to do that.
1: Yeah. Is that something that you address in your as you work with families? Or do you?
2: I don't yeah. I, I don't address that particularly firsthand once i get to, get to know people mm-hmm. and they have all heard my story, they know how i feel. Uh, but I don't initially when I meet a family because I know that for every murder is a different circumstance, mm-hmm. and um, every person is not where I am, nor are they who who I am. And so, um, if the conversation presents itself, then we may have that conversation. But it's, I don't push. Yeah. My relationship with the Lord on anyone, I feel like this is discipleship, and discipleship takes walking with people, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, being in the lives of people so that they can trust you enough to have a conversation, a deep conversation like this. And I've had some, had this conversation, conversation with several of my parents, but not all of them. I don't, I don't do that right mm-hmm. when I first meet them. Yeah.
1: yeah. A lot of questions about that, but I think (laughs) we'll move on because I do want to get into the journey part. You say, again, the subtitle is a mother's journey from dot, dot, dot. So I guess let's talk about where that journey begins for you. Well, the Grammy
2: Justice journey uh, began March 14, 2017, when uh, when I received a phone call that Lex had been murdered. Uh, Mind you, you know, when we get up and go, it was just a regular day. It was just a regular, you know, work day, going into the office, uh, doing office things. Mm -hmm. And you get one phone call that changes the trajectory of your life. And so my journey started, I think, from the moment that I received the phone call. And the journey still continues. I don't think it ended with... Um, Lexi's burial, I don't think it ended with the criminal justice system, don't think it ended with um, the start of Grammy um, Justice and what we're doing now. I think the journey continues. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, there's a sense, there's a line from the poet, the Japanese poet Basho who's, who wrote, writes, well, the moon, sun and moon are eternal travelers and the journey itself is home. There's this idea that the journey is ongoing. It, it all, in a sense. I mean, we have these beginning points, but there's really no beginning or ending to it uh, mm-hmm. in a way, because as we'll we'll talk more about later, um, March 14, thousand seventeen. Seven, yes, for some reason I was going to say two thousand one, um, but two thousand seventeen is the beginning of this particular stage or mm-hmm. stage of the journey but you could say it begins with Lexi's birth which has its had its own complications mm-hmm. or you could say it began with your birth and your whole life and mm-hmm. even before that the history of your family um, we talked in the first episode about is in discussing the work of Grammy Justice those sort of major sort of historical events like 9/11 or the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. or Hurricane Katrina, and how people um, have a tendency to talk about where they were when mm-hmm. and how that brings us into a, a shared experience. Um, Murder is different and, and in that it's, it tends to, rather than bring us together in the way those public events bring us together, it tends to isolate mm-hmm. um, and, and it kind of estrange us from one another. Um, but it, it, it has that same quality of being kind of a before and after moment. Um so I wonder if you could just give us a sense of what, what's going on before in the just bring us into kind of where was Lexi in life at that moment, um what that day was like for you. All that's kind of in the book and you, you do just a beautiful job of giving us a sense of that build up in the sort of you talk about the aftermath, but I guess you could say the foremath of of the phone call itself. So at the time Lexi was murdered, she was twenty six years old. she was of course
2: living on her own, and I you know tell people all the time um Lexi did not live a perfect life. she had struggles, and um she was the child that if I got a phone call, I knew it was about, it was about her mm-hmm. and um she i think i talked I'm not sure if i um, where it is exactly in the book? What I talk about, you know, the fact that she had called on March fourth, March first, which was her birthday. Mm-hmm. Lexi has a tendency to call weeks in advance and let people know, you know, that it was her birthday. So she had called, and I didn't have time to talk about, talk to her at the time. And I, you know, since then I've said, if only I had had time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we take for granted that. You know, we're going to have an opportunity to to do it over or, or um, talk to a person again. And um, that was the last time I talked to her, the time that I did not have time mm-hmm. uh, to talk to her. Um, she was, Lexi was uh, sweet. She was sweet. Mm-hmm. She would give you the clothes off of her bag. Uh, we were talking the other day about. Um, um, my granddaughter, Lexi's daughter, was having some, had money, and we were talking the other day about, um, you know, how she buys people's stuff. Lexi was the same way. If she had anything, um, she would buy. If she had money in, in her possession, she wouldn't just keep it for herself. She would always be thinking about somebody else. She was dark. She has a, had a dark, uh, ebony skin, and she hated her skin color. Uh, because all of us was kind of, you know, lighter toned and in our family, and she hated her skin tone. Um, and she was what we call thick. She was a little thick and, uh, but beautiful, beautiful girl. Um, she was in a relationship with, um, the person responsible for her murder. Um, they had been in an abusive relationship for years. Um, uh, some of the details of their relationship I didn't learn until after Lexi's death. But um, she was in a very abusive relationship, and um, she had tried to leave this particular weekend that she was murdered. She was, had, in her mind, had left, was leaving, um, had started a relationship with another young lady, and had posted a video of her and the the young lady together. Mm. And at the moment that I saw it, in my mind, I said, that was, it's just too soon. Mm. It just too soon. Um, I, I think I told you earlier about, you know, going to the domestic violence um, events and hearing the stories of victims and most of the time they'll tell you to leave. If, you, if you're if you in an abusive relationship, to leave. Uh, find some kind of way to leave. But, I think that it's important to have a plan mm-hmm. to leave um, because Lexi was leaving, in her mind she was she was leaving. Uh, I was at my office. Um, I am the business administrator for a church, local church here in the area. I was preparing for payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had had my first cup of coffee. I normally have two. But this morning I had just had one in my desk and and, uh, as people came in greeting people like we normally do Um, and I'm you know I'm noisy so Mm. keeping up noise like I normally do Mm. and um, I got a phone call and they said that Lexi had been shot Mm. Um, you know when you get a phone call that somebody has been shot I did not think that Lexi was killed. Um, even the first, you know, the first hearing of the phone call, I did not think she had been killed. And I didn't have any other information besides the fact that she had been shot. Uh, the person on the other end of the phone was my sister-in-law. And she told me that was all the information that she had. Mm. Um, so I was in my office, so I tried to find... You know news reports of what was happening. Uh, I tried to get uh, my assistant at the time to she came in and she asked him what was happening and you know we both tried to go through the phone and try to find what was happening and the first news report we got was that she had been shot in the arm. So um, that was a sense of relief for me because I never thought that being shot in the arm would have been deadly. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I was kind of relieved at that fact uh, that she was shot in the arm. And then almost, you know, time is just, Mm. I think time is slowing down and moving fast and slowing down. And what probably was just a few minutes seems like a long, drawn-out period of time. And um, then the next report we saw was that a woman was—they never gave her name. They just said a woman was killed, mm. and the people that were responsible for her death had left the scene.
1: Um, can we can we pause? I want to go back because I, I just want to—I want to try to help our audience to experience that moment. So, if, do you mind if I read a little section from the book? So you, you, you talk about. And you're kind of scrolling and trying to trying to figure out what had happened, what was going on. And, and you, as you already mentioned, you you see that she, the first reports are somebody was shot in the arm. And as you write, nothing too serious then. Sure it was bad, but it could have been much worse. It never crossed my mind that the wound might be fatal, so for a fleeting moment I could exhale and breathe. Mm-hmm. And then in the next moment you write... No sooner had I released the air from my lungs and my heart took a huge dip. I felt every thump of my pulse hammering as a local news source revealed the names of the assailants. It was Evelyn. Mm. Um, And so the reason I paused you is because you you alluded to the fact that Lexi was in an abusive relationship. You alluded to the fact that she was trying to get out of that relationship and um, to the fact that you had a sense of foreboding you say too soon in the book you're you um looking back you might call that a premonition though at the time I tried as best I could to put it out of my mind so um two things i think are worth noting and you can talk more about them or not if you as, as obviously your choice um one i think most most of us when we hear about an abusive relationship domestic violence we immediately think of a violent man um, involved and so knowing what I know about the story I know that she was in a same sex relationship with Mm -hmm. a woman Mm -hmm. um, named Evelyn and that Evelyn was very abusive and violent and both physically but also emotionally or psychologically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways Um, I guess what what I'm trying to get to is a question of like you say you you describe a premonition um, and then you describe this feeling of like as soon as you saw that that Evelyn was involved all the sort of sense of hopefulness about well maybe it's not that bad Mm. kind of went away in that moment although it kind of continues just to loop back um as we'll see but but I wonder if you could just say more about um what gave you reason to have the the premonition that it was too soon and what gave you what what prompted you to have this sinking feeling
2: well I think two things one is um Lexi told me that she said to death, and what Lexi meant by that was Evelyn that said Evelyn told Lexi to death okay. to death um Lexi had um, think I love you to death or just no, yeah. to death meaning that um we will not be separated we will mm-hmm. okay. to death do us part, mm-hmm. and um Lexi was nervous about that and she had already said that, Mama, she said to death. And, um, you know, Evelyn had threatened me the last time I had picked um, um, Lexi up. She told me, you know, that it, and, and a matter of fact, I tried to press charges on her, but they would not let me press charges on her. But I knew it was serious. If, if Evelyn was involved, I knew what Lexi had told me. I knew what she had said to me. I know. I had seen some of the damage that Evelyn had done in the past. And once they said Evelyn's name, then although they didn't mention Lexi's name, I knew it was Lexi. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So what happens? What happens next? What's the next beat in the story? Oh, um,
2: it's hard going back. Um, once um, I found out it was Lexi, I called my brother. Mm-hmm and asked my brother to come and pick me up. And once I knew, I knew where the street was. And now that I, even after I've written the book and I think about I've been thinking about it recently, I think my brother already knew. Mm. Um, he never said anything, but I think he already knew. Mm. He wouldn't tell me that, but I believe he already knew. But anyway, my brother came and picked me up and um we hit it now my office is in north jackson Payton street is in south jackson Mm -hmm. so we had to leave north jackson and go to south jackson get on the interstate and go to south jackson and that seemed like that was the longest ride uh, because i have all of these thoughts in my head about what has happened the extent of the damage, what I'll see when I get there, um, and my brother was driving, and I wanted him to, I wanted him to get there quickly, but I also wanted him to slow down. I just, you know, and it just seems like. Um, when you're in a, it, I was almost in a panic, but not in a panic, and I, I just wanted him to just slow down and speed up all at the same time. It was a difficult ride because I had all of the questions. And I, I had the one thing that the woman had been shot in the arm, but I also had to report that a woman had been killed, so I didn't know what I was going to see when I got there. And so part of my getting my going there was trying to figure out the extent of the damage and what my eyes would see when I got there.
1: Yeah. You get the sense of just being completely flooded and overwhelmed mm-hmm. all this too much.
2: Yeah, it was not, just not too much. Just it was just just think about it. You you're 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 at work, just a mm-hmm. regular day of work, yeah. just doing work stuff. And you get this phone call
0: mm-hmm.
2: um that kind of throws you totally aback, because it's not a phone call that you've had before. Never received a phone call, never would have thought in a million years that I would hear the word killed or murdered. That just wasn't my world. And so all of that, um, and just the part of not knowing and the conflicting reports and it happening so quickly and um, just trying to get to the scene and see what it was, it just was a lot. And so we, we, um, we finally got there. And when we got there, and most, and I tell this story all the time because most people that have experienced murder will remember two things. One is the blue flashing lights Mm -hmm. and the crime scene tape, um, which was the same for us. It was, there were a lot of people gathered there by that time. It was cool. It was crisp. It was like 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. There was an overcast. Um, and so my, my spinal cord shivered. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that was from the nervousness or the cold, but, uh, almost to the point that my teeth were, were chattering. It was, and it reminded me of, um, when my, my parents fought, it was just that type of feeling in my belly, Mm -hmm. uh, that I got. It was like a nervousness kind of, uh, feeling. But anyway, once we got there. Uh, It was difficult for us to maneuver around to get uh, to the crime scene and um, uh, because there were so many people um, and trying just to see, you know, where the crime actually happened. Mm -hmm. Um, We, my brother tried and I tried and finally we, after trying so long and it was so cool outside, um, I just decided to get in the truck, but before I got in the truck, there was someone that approached me. Mm. And I don't know how she knew me, but she approached me and she said, "Um, uh, do you know anyone that's here? I said, I'm Lexi's mother. And uh, she asked me, are you Lexi's mother? I was like, yes, I'm Lexi's mother. And she dropped her head. She didn't say anything about Lexi. She just dropped her head. And then um, she said that there were several people that were in the house, um, along with some children. Um, And she just dropped her head and said, you know, she didn't give me any details, uh, specific details in regards to Lexi. And it wasn't what she said. It was what she did not say um that alarmed me. Um so finally we just I just got in the truck and um just imagine though it felt like you know you talk about being alone it felt like no one there out of all the people that were there could understand or feel what I was feeling. Mm. It felt like um, and I, I explained it to being a red umbrella and umbrella in the sea of black ones. And that's what it felt like. It felt like there were so many people there, mm. uh, so much so that I didn't know anybody. No one knew me. Um, but I had a target. I was trying to see about my baby mm. and, um, and then you, all of the, the, the thoughts, you know. Go on, and what's going on in my head about our last conversation? You know, uh, the the blue, and uh, you know, all of the, the the posts that she had made over the weekend, and those type of things were going on in my head. I just needed answers, and I mm. I, I didn't feel like it was hopeless. That's what I felt. I felt hopeless, and um, so I just sat in the vehicle. Yeah,
1: blue. You're referring to the. The new interest in, in Lexi's life and mm-hmm. the fact that she had been posting that this was kind of her move away from, from Evelyn, and that yeah. was part of what gave you the premonition. And even with the premonition, there's just nothing that'll prepare you for the mm-hmm. phone call that you got. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that um, you mentioned, um, you've already you kind of alluded to it. I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to ask about it. Um, I just want to want to circle back and then have a question. Um, you describe how um, you, you the crowd's kind of that that's another level of overwhelming. They being the red umbrella and the sea of black umbrellas um, surrounded by all the chaos and confusion and noise, and then it's and and nobody'll t- say anything but wait, please wait, please wait. you can't get any information from anybody, even the woman who approached you. I somehow recognized you, um just hung her head and didn't say anything, so you're still just and so you still have these conflicting reports, and you don 't know what to make of it um, and you describe how, in the midst of that you you retreat to the truck your brother's truck and you close the door and i kind of as I read that, I picture this kind of hush falling around you. you kind of enter this cloistered space, and as you settle into that silence and calm. Um, You say you began to feel the same ache in your belly you did as a little girl. Mm -hmm. The old familiar stabs of pain that signaled a terror looming. A sure sign that my parents were on the verge of a violent clash an all too frequent occurrence in our household. So now for the second time, you've described the sense of premonition of something really Mm -hmm. dangerous um, or or violent and and possibly terrifying. So um, one of the main themes throughout the book, but especially in these opening chapters, um, involves your struggle to accept that this could be your reality. Um, you describe this kind of deep internal wrestling as you kind of, okay, there's there's a sense that something really dreadful has occurred, and then you kind of go back to this idea of, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not so big a deal after all. Um, You describe the crime scene itself as something out of a surreal nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you use that language again, and we'll talk about this next time, to describe um, your experience of going to identify the body. Mm -hmm. Um, Surely I would wake up any second now. Mm -hmm. I'm reading directly. Surely I would wake up any second now, heart racing, breathless, and deeply disturbed by the haunting vision. But then I didn't wake up, and I didn't wake up, and I didn't wake up and I didn't wake up.
2: I think um, in circumstances like this, you have a hard time um, with reality, Mm. or I had a hard time with reality. Um, It does feel like a dream. Um, And I do talk about this in more detail in the book in regards to because of who I felt like I was in God, Mm. um, I felt like he, he would protect me from it. And, um, you know, that this kind of thing happened, you know, on the other side of the road Mm -hmm. and did not happen to me. Um, And that was the difficult part of trying to um, move from reality to dream, because this has to be a dream, mm-hmm. you know, these, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing cannot be, re- I, it's foreign, because you've never felt this before, and it is foreign. Uh, and I sat in the truck, um, and I could see all of the moving pieces, people moving, um, you know, vehicles moving in and out. And it was like I was in a place, but I wasn't in a place. Mm-hmm. It did feel like a dream. Yeah.
1: In another place, similar same same scene, but in another place you describe how watching the police officers and EMTs rushing in and out of the house felt like you were watching a low budget movie. Mm-hmm. But then you, t- then you move on to describe how you felt like a character in a movie. Like you'd been handed this role and you didn't know the script and you didn't know how you were supposed to act. And you really didn't have any context for what was happening. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. And I I wonder if you'll say more about that. You, you're watching a movie, but you're also forced to be in the movie. It's like you step through the screen. Um, could you could you talk a little bit more about that tension it builds?
2: I think it's it's kind of um, because you're so out of your comfort zone. Um, I had I've never been arrested. I've never been to a crime scene. I don't know. I mean, at the time, I didn't know anything about um, murder or crime. I hadn't experienced death in this way. Everything about this was foreign to me, and it was like. Um, uh, uh, showing up at a stage play and they're giving you a strip and saying, mm. "Okay, you're this character. Play this character and play this character. Make it real, mm. you know. Make it appear real." Mm. And that's that's how it felt. It felt like I'm in this thing. There's no way out of it, you know. Mm. And it is as real as it gets. It's every uh, feeling that a person. And I talk about the fact that it was like getting punched and kicked all at the same time because that's what it felt like it was um it's kind of hard to put to words particularly if you you haven't experienced that type of hurt before um but being in it was very foreign mm. um i had no desire to be there Uh, But at the same time, I had no way out. I was the only one. I'm her next of kin. I was the only one that could do it. It was the hardest thing Mm. that I've done in my life. Uh, I couldn't pass the torch to anybody else. Um, It was me. No turning back. It was me.
1: And at the same time, I think that's one of the frustrating things. Not with your story, but about your story is is that, uh, as I read it, nobody, at the same time, you're it, and nobody will give you any damn information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think there's another, there's a point right in there where um, you, you kind of describe latching on to hope again. You kind of waver between knowing, having that premonition, that sense of foreboding in your body like you feel you describe what what's going on like a feeling in your belly like you had since childhood that some some terror was on the horizon um and then you describe a kind of hope that all this was just blown out of proportion just hullabaloo um you say maybe she was you're right maybe she was okay after all it was only her arm the report said Mm -hmm. arms can be fixed arms can be healed or even be cut off in the worst mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. leaving the rest of the body intact. Mm-hmm. And you go on uh, thinking maybe this could even be a good thing, you say. Mm-hmm. Um, just the wake-up call you've been That's praying it. for. Mm-hmm. Um, something that would finally convince Lexi B to get the help she needed she needed, and to change her life, get mm-hmm. her life together. Um, I think we, we've talked about this. I'm not sure if it made it in the book, but the kind of figurative language of like, some sometimes people will say, "Oh, that was a shot in the arm, like when they kind of realize that they need something mm-hmm. um that kind of a literal shot in the arm so um, yeah. yeah i think
2: I think yeah. um there's always i mean mm-hmm. you choose between choosing between um information that a person has been murdered and choosing between information that that just hurt. You're gonna always choose the information that the person has just been hurt. And I think it's hard, or it was for me, to accept until I got concrete evidence. Mm-hmm. It was just hard for me to get my mind to accept that this was my reality. Yeah. That Lexi had been murdered that she was gone, She, I would not see her alive again um, and that she had been murdered by Evelyn and um, she had done that to her and knowing Lexi, knowing the fact that Lexi wouldn't have done that to her mm-hmm. and the fact that because of her cowardness Um, She did that to her. Um, All of that played a part in just sitting there with all of these thoughts from every direction. um, What could be was not what you know, what maybe was you know, because you don't know Mm -hmm. and Sitting in a truck, of course, you're looking at all of the activity that's going on around you and you still, I never was, and you know, I didn't, of all the activity, I never saw a body. Mm. And so, of course, there was hope. There was hope that she was maybe hurt or uh, was just hurt and never thought
1: that she was gone. So, you mentioned... Until you got hard evidence, so do you want to take us forward in the story to um, the moment when somebody finally comes and tells you something? You're in the truck.
2: Yeah, I'm sitting in the truck. Get a knock on the window, and it's the detectives that come to the window and ask me um, to give them photos of uh, my daughter, of Lexi, and. Lexi was not one, I I, she, I just didn't have a lot of photos of Lexi. Mm-hmm. And I went through my phone and I just kept going through my phone, going through my phone. I could, I mean, I went, it seemed like forever, mm-hmm. looking through every photo in my phone, trying to find a photo of her. And um, I finally found one, I was like, woo, finally found one, and the one that I, um, showed them was the one that she had taken recently when she was at the house. She had gotten her hair braided. Mm-hmm. Lexi would wear her hair short, um, sometimes, and sometimes she would wear it longer. Um, but this particular picture I had, she had braids on. But the last time I had spoken to Lexi, her hair was short like mine. Mm-hmm. So, but I still thought they would be able to, Um, see that that was her. And so this was the picture that I showed them. And the detective said, no ma'am, this is not the person that we have. And it was almost a sense of relief. But at the same time, I knew, you know, I kinda knew. And all of the things that's going on, the lady's showing up, you know, dropping her head, seeing all the activities going on. He's coming to see, talk to me. And asking me for photos you know Um, so I just for some reason I just knew and uh, as he was walking away I told him to hold on my baby and I always called Lexi my baby even though she was 26 years old so my baby has uh, a tattoo on her arm and it's my name Felicia And they said, uh, ma'am, we'll be right back. And as I thought about that tattoo, um, I had given her so much hell about that tattoo, um, about writing up her body that the Lord didn't want her body to be written up. And, um, the fact that she had tattooed, I mean, it was from, um, her elbow all the way down to her wrist was how big my name was written Mm -hmm. on her arm. And, um. Looking back on it, I, I, I know now that it was uh, the fact that she honored me. was is a, It was a part of her honoring me. I never in a million years would have thought that would be how I would identify her body. Um, but it was. Um, and not only was my name written on her body, Evelyn's name was written on her body as well. Mm. And so uh, I thought it was just kind of ironic that our our names were written on the body. Mm. One who really loved her and one who killed her. Mm. Um, But um, they left um, and came back. The detectives. The detectives left and came back. And I'm sure these words they said a million times, but it was like a... A dagger in my heart because it's like Miss Marshall, we regret to inform you um that your daughter is deceased. we the Jackson Police Department, would do everything in our power to get the people responsible for this heinous crime hmm. um what do you do with those words? I mean once. I just, once they left, I just rolled up the window and I just screamed, Jesus, to the top of my lungs. Hmm. I just screamed, Jesus. I felt like Jesus was the only one going to be able to help me through this situation because me and my own pal, it was so foreign. It was just like an out-of-body experience. Hmm. And... I did not know what to do. I did not know what to do with the information I had just heard. What do you do with that? We regret to inform you. And I always remember that verbatim. Um, I screamed to the top of my lungs. Uh, My brother was, I don't even know, I don't know if he was in the truck or outside of the truck. Um, Ms. Shea, my other daughter, was sitting behind me, I don't even know when she got there. Um, There was no consoling at the moment. Mm. Um, Still unbelievable, still like being in a dream, still like being in a movie, a low budget movie with me still being the character, the main character. and sometimes it still feels like that today. Mm. It really does.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you, you described watching the movie and now suddenly you're the central character um, without having any frame for for what's going on. We, we talked in the very first episode about just those kind of, what do you do when you don't know mm-hmm. what to do? When the unthinkable happens, mm-hmm. how do you imagine a way forward? And, um, one thing I, I was struck by, even in that, is you—you you, how often you use the word time, just time. It takes time. It takes time. But in that moment, everything's so immediate, and it's mm-hmm. like every all the all the too much everything is kind mm-hmm. of go, going through a funnel, and and, um, and there's no taking it in. So, so eventually, there's no, nothing more to do or see here. You've gotten. The worst, most unthinkable news, and you begin to leave, and, and you describe. You've already described in in the course of things feeling. I think you said in the book. You said punched, kicked, strangled, and I think there was one other violent act, all at the same time. Like you can't breathe. The pain is just overwhelming. The information is overwhelming. And finally you're going to drive away and tell us tell us about what happens then.
2: Well we're we're driving away. My brother of course is driving and um, Michelle has gotten out of the car because she came She had driven herself. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're driving away and we notice that we're being chased or someone's trying to flag us down. And my brother's like, who is that? I'm like, well, maybe it's someone that needs a signature or something from us. Uh, So my brother pulled over and stopped. And um, they were were from the funeral home. Mm. And the funeral home was um, seeking our business. Mm. Flagged us down to give us their card, seeking our business. And um, I felt, I was mad as hell. You wanna talk about somebody being mad? (laughs) My my brother was cordial, but I was mad as hell. Mm. The fact that I had just received the news that my daughter was murdered. And the fact, I don't, I mean, the fact that they were there, first of all, They were there, and they chased us down. It was unbelievable. It it was unbelievable. But in our communities, that happens all the time, where these funeral homes um, set up stake at these crime scenes Mm -hmm. to see which one can get the business first. That is crazy. That is what happened to us.
1: know yeah, the callousness of that is unbelievable. Um, you, I think you say in the book, um, I think you 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 describe that as being, uh, you know, unthinkably callous, but also, from a different point of view, understandable. And you quote, uh, I think it's in Luke's gospel where Jesus says, you know, where the corpse is, there the vultures mm-hmm. will gather. Um, so I wanted to just kind of, as we wrap up this segment, I wanted to contrast that callousness with your compassion and the work of grant me justice and i was really struck um by this and i don't know how much you want to say about this but um you've you've brought us into this devastating experience and i thank you for just trusting us with that part of your story um and we'll we'll proceed into the next chapter next time but um we also know that you're working with families who are going through the worst, most unthinkable um, things. And one possible and very understandable effect of that might be to kind of desensitize you. Mm-hmm. But you Just before we began recording, you were telling me that your father had had a health scare mm-hmm. um, recently, and you were talking about just how upsetting that was to you and unsettling that was to you. And it really struck me that you... Um, for yourself, for your family, for the families involved in Grant Me Justice. You have this amazing tenderness and compassion. If you can answer it, I wonder if you could, it it just strikes me as remarkable and, um, and incredibly beautiful that you're able to maintain a sensitivity and compassion. So I wonder if you could talk about where that comes from so we can learn from
2: I think, uh, you know, as I said earlier, I think everything about Grammy Justice is supernatural. Um, There's a force Mm. that's beyond me Um, at work with Grammy Justice. Um, These families that come... It's love. It's just love. And and every time I get off the phone with a family, whether I've met them in person or not, I say, I love you, Miss, whoever it is. And um, the families that have been a part of Grant Me Justice for a while, their response is, I know you do, Miss Felicia. And um, showing the love of Christ is easy. And... um, Having compassion, I think, is easy. Hearing the details, the graphic details of all of these murders, um, you know, I hear people tell me all the time, you know, it could be a bit much, and it probably could if it was me in the natural, Mm -hmm. but it's not me in the natural, and I, I know that this is, God ordained. God has been carrying me and these families. Mm-hmm. This is not me. Mm-hmm. I know that for, a, for, for a fact. <laughs> this is not me. This is God's work. This is God's doing. I'm just a vessel and, um, I don't take that for granted. I don't I don't take credit for it. I don't take credit for grant me justice. I don't take credit for being able to listen to these families and have compassion on them. That's the Lord's doing. And I can't do this. I'm serious about that. I can't. It's not me. <laughs> and um, I would think sometimes that I'd be overwhelmed, but I'm not overwhelmed. Mm. I love working with these families. I wouldn't rather do anything else in the world. Mm-hmm. This is a God this truth. This is what I was born in this world. This is what Mabel and Bobby was put here on this earth for. They didn't have me mm-hmm. so I could ever grant me justice. And um, I know that this is a calling. This mm-hmm. is a calling. And God has equipped me with that, for that. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's... That's a pretty good place to land, so we'll stop there. The, the Orthodox theologian, Alexander Schmemann, <laughs> talks about uh, Christian love. He, he, he defines Christian love as the possible impossibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. He might call it the impossible possibility, one of those. Um, but that, that's what it feels like to me, that you're doing the impossible, but it's possible because you're sort of energized by this love. and um,
2: Yeah, and I was telling you earlier that the Lord reminded me mm-hmm. nothing, is impossible for me he reminded me yesterday nothing is impossible for me and I get that all the time, nothing is impossible for God, nothing Today's podcast was brought to you by Genesis Bank whose mission is to provide thoughtful financial advice and helpful financial solutions to every
0: customer they serve To learn more, visit them on the web at genesis.